Welcome back to another episode of the JuiceCast. Today we'll be talking with Deez. Deez is a longtime DGen, former director of Vibes at Tessera, and host of the We Do a Little podcast, a series of candid, long-form conversations with guests mostly from the NFT art world. In this episode, Deez tells us about his journey from RuneScape's grand exchange to flipping punks and how Ethereum can be considered a global multiplayer game. We share stories about psychedelics, good and bad trades, as well as his experience as an influencer and how he deals with the ethics and social dynamics of having a huge following. We also touch on why he's stayed anon over the years, Twitter's sudden rebrand, and why email is still the best decentralized social network. Before we dive in, just a reminder that the contents of the JuiceCast are strictly for educational and entertainment purposes only. This podcast is not financial advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. Do not purchase any tokens discussed on episodes of the JuiceCast in anticipation of financial gains. Please do your own research. So with all of that out of the way, this is one of our longest JuiceCast interviews and probably the most laid back. So grab a snack, rip a bowl, and enjoy this extra juicy episode. Welcome to the JuiceCast. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing, Deez? Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me. I think we were talking on Farcaster and Matt was like, you should come on the pod. It's like, absolutely. Now we're here. <laughs> very, very simple flow of events. Glad to be here. Glad to vibe. Glad yeah. to maybe talk about Farcaster as we talk about the downfall of Twitter. What do we think about X? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like the, the website is like in general kind of rounded. Like there's a lot of round edges and it's like a little on the, I don't want to say it's cute, but it like has a certain friendly kind of roundness to it. And then the X just looks, I don't know, it just looks wrong when I see it on the webpage. But I don't know, maybe Elon has some great plan for this, but I don't know, visually I'm not totally convinced. Fuck. Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like there's not a great plan. Um, <laughs> there's none, I don't everything think. Everything <laughs> I've seen from when Twitter, when he took over Twitter to now, I, I don't know what the plan is, but it doesn't feel great. It's funny because like the app is like, falling apart and then it's like oh but you know we got a new logo yeah like, check out this logo and it's like i'm getting like ads for like wish like alibaba stuff like it's no longer like targeted there's like bots everywhere like shit doesn't work like yeah i'm just he- like i didn't realize how many of my followers were bots until the last <laughs> month or two and it's just like Every day, wake up and oh, down 100 followers. Oh, down 100 followers. And then, like, <laughs> you come back uh, a week later and you're down over a thousand followers. And you're just like, shit. Yeah. I don't know. I feel, I don't think Twitter is going in a good direction. I'm I feel like I have like three like... reply guys that are just AI bots because they always <laughs> say things that are like vaguely out of context <laughs> and they just reply to everything within like, three minutes so it's like are you a bot like you can't be a real person you're just (laughs) taking a generic response and throwing it into this uh you know whatever tweet i have 
Yeah, we have this one, there's this one person in the Juicebox Discord that is clearly fake. Their their username <laughs> is like Coin Collector, but it's like in all sorts of like fucked up like uh, Unicode characters, but it says Coin Collector. Yeah, and then they'll yeah. just respond to shit and they'll write good. <laughs> it would be like, like, how are you? And it's like, there's literally no one like talking to them. Yeah, it'll be like someone posting some update about like, oh yeah, we implemented, you know, version 3.1.2 of this contract. And then they'll say like, how are you? Like, <laughs> fuck out of here. Like, what do you want? And then further, like, what are you going to get out of it? Like, what? You post in the, the Discord. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> what, what do you... farming? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, do you... <laughs> I don't know. It's just wild. Airdrop based off Discord participation. They're, yeah, they're civil like, attacking it. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. The problem with uh, with Twitter falling apart is that, like, that would be super bearish for crypto. Like, yeah, <laughs> if, I mean, if Twitter got of... fucked up, like, I don't know what would happen. I mean, like, 6% of us would find our way on the Farcaster. 90% of us would probably just stop caring altogether and finally just be like, I'm free. And then maybe, like, 4% of people go to, like, I don't know, Reddit, threads, other other venues. Yeah, Farcaster is, like, a, a bit more... I don't know. I almost feel like the audience is a little more serious there. Like, people are a little more, like, earnest and... Yeah, I'm not just, posting, yeah. like, daily weed pics on Farcaster. <laughs> uh, it's like that's like not the vibe of like, but yeah. maybe I can make it the vibe. I feel like Farcaster could maybe be a little more fun sometimes. Like it, it feels a little like sometimes I don't know. I mean, not in a bad way, but it just yeah, serious is like the word I would use. Or it's, it's like, like a lot of people. Suit and tie on, yeah. But I also <laughs> like like normally I'm wearing a psychedelic uh, killer acid shirt. But like when I'm on Farcaster, I feel like I'm wearing like a, a dark black V-neck with like dark black slacks <laughs> and like black shoes. And it's like I'm not at a funeral, but yeah. um, I'm definitely not on Twitter. Yeah, I like Farcaster the most of all the like Twitter killer apps that have emerged. Like I have a lens profile. I've never posted oh, fuck, on I Lens. I forgot about Lens. Like, yeah, I have a Lens It's just too. like people airdrop farming. Which is really funny because, like, I don't know how, like, a social media protocol makes money when it's not built on, like, ad revenue models. (laughs) Like, it's just funny because we have, like, five of the same app, none of the same social graph. And, like, (laughs) it feels like email newsletters are still, like, the best way to, like, retain a following regardless of what happens to one email platform or another. Like, you can actually still take like that following with you wherever and that's like the oldest like communication that we have like with email newsletters no and as time goes on like number one i feel dumber for not having one but then number two (laughs) i find myself only really keeping up with the things that i'm subscribed to the newsletters or the emails Mm. it's like i have like two and a half articles that are close to being done but not done and then i get close to finishing them and Something happens one morning where I wake up and the thought of finishing it is so repulsive that it just sits in the drafts. And maybe a month later, I get another idea of a good article and then I write most of it and it sits there in the drafts. And Yeah, writing is just painful. Do you realize how stupid you are when you try to write something? You're like, oh, let me explain this. Like, I understand it perfectly. And then no. an hour into trying to write it, you're like, I don't understand anything. Like, I'm so fucking <laughs> stupid. Like, maybe I don't get this. And then you're like, man, I don't really want to publish this because then I'm going to look like an idiot. Yeah. Why don't you stick to shit posting? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the best part about writing is that it 
basically lets you or it forces you to think through an idea and to really understand mm-hmm. it like I, I think the the real thing that you get out of writing is like the process of going through and thinking about it deeply and understanding it I mean like publishing it obviously is good and you want people to read it but it's like a really good way to think through an idea I remember we talked to David Phelps and he said something along those lines and I thought it was really on point there's no downside to like writing more like if you take no. an hour that you would spend doom scrolling any social media it's the opposite of writing where you're just uh fuck that doesn't make sense right i'm gonna scratch that i'm gonna rewrite (laughs) it and then you rewrite it and like you have your wife read it and you ask her her opinion and she's like yeah it doesn't make sense and then you're like (laughs) i needed to hear that because i know it's bad but now i'm just not gonna write it (laughs) yeah Dees, why don't why don't you why don't we start with Dees? Like, where does where does this pseudonym actually come from, or like, what what's the what's the yeah. origin story here? It's a old name I've had, basically in second grade or so. When I would say certain words, I would not pronounce them correctly. So okay. it's a really silly thing. But I used to say like this and that, Dees, and, mm-hmm. and like I wouldn't say the, the th sound. I also mess up like shrimp and a few other words as a kid but one of my teachers pointed it out and um my best friend thought it was funny to call me it because my teacher brought it up and i don't really like my real name so i kind of just went with it and by like the end of middle school my friends family members like parent like my friends parents and stuff were all calling me d's and it was kind of like my name on online and shit so i just kind of went with it and then like 10 years later all the d's nut stuff happened mm-hmm. and then everybody just automatically assumes that you know the name has to come from D's nuts but yeah i mean my my own personal name i didn't love it growing up i i like it more now that i'm older but as a kid it was like yeah i'm just gonna be D's then like fuck it so from D's, how did you then get into like the crypto rabbit hole and like maybe what were you up to like before you fell down So the high level is I spent most of my free time and most of my life playing video games, whether it was RuneScape or League of Legends or Halo or Call of Duty or whatever, like from the age of nine. um, And I'm, you know, basically 30 now. So for the last like 21 years, just spent way too much time playing video games. (laughs) And I've always been a gambler, Uh, a lot of gamblers in my family you know people who would just take their paycheck and go to a casino and lose it uh that type of energy so i realized early on in some of the games i was playing specifically runescape where you can gamble really easily um that i am also a degenerate gambler and that kind of manifested into a daily fantasy sports addiction for a few years so i was in college and i was taking basically money i guess i had not student loans and that money was Gambling money slash weed money slash recreational money after I paid all my tuition because they let me borrow more than I needed. I was fucking around <laughs> with Daily Fantasy Sports and I was one of the people who like first deposit got pretty lucky and turned that into like 5x plus what I deposited. And then I thought I was like this genius um, <laughs> who was just going to like pay his rent from Daily Fantasy Sports. Uh-huh. And the first year or so of Daily Fantasy Sports, for me, it was probably like 2014, and it was still fairly soft. I was making um, enough money to cover all my weed bills, 
and some months if it was really good cover rent and at the time um was dating mrs d's but it was a long distance thing so i would take some money from that um and buy a plane ticket to go visit her every few months and it was a nice thing and i played dfs fairly consistently for nfl and nba from 2014 to 2017 and then during 2017 a bunch of people who i was playing dfs with were talking about making more money on Ethereum and shit coins. So I took all the money out of my daily fantasy accounts over the course of like two months and just put it all into Litecoin and Ethereum. Okay. From there, I, you know, had a VPN, was on Binance and Bitgrail and Cryptopia and Mercatox. And like, I took the playbook I had from daily fantasy, which was I'm gonna follow the top like 50 accounts that I can find on Twitter and see what they're talking about and then try to get alpha from them. So like very early on, somehow I found Kobe and Loomdart and Path and CryptoCred and Donald and Gainsey and a bunch of the influencers. And a lot of them seem to give pretty earnest and honest advice. And I'm always like super skeptical because coming from the daily fantasy industry, a lot of the advice might be bad and self-serving <laughs> to like a certain platform to get subscriptions or affiliate clicks or money. And I did pretty well in uh, the few months after I got in. And then I thought I was a genius. It was one of those things where like you join in October, 2017, by the end of December, like I was visiting my wife and my future in-laws um, at the time. And I was just like on my laptop all day buying shit coins. Like I wasn't even paying attention to Christmas that week or any of the activities. I was like, oh, I just bought this token called Ryblox and it's uh, it's a DAG, which is like a decentralized whatever graph. And then like the, the transactions are just faster and cheaper. And it's up like 20x. Like I'm kind of a genius. I'm kind of a big deal. Like you might not know it. Um, <laughs> like that was my mindset that 2017. Yeah. And of course, I sold some things, but then everything I sold, I bought another shitcoin with. So it was like I did really well for a couple months, thought I was a genius, took all the profit I made and just kept buying like down only shitcoins and then eventually got into leverage trading on BitMEX. So I would be like at work on my phone, on a VPN, in the bathroom, buying like a fucking 10x levered long ripple position. And that was kind of uh the beginning of the end for me <laughs> by the end of 2018 like that november when eth went from six to 3k i officially blew out my account on bitmex and lost the last of my collateral and really had to like a not come to jesus moment but like i had to be honest with myself <laughs> and, and be like all right like everyone in your family is a generate gambler you just made uh a good amount of money and then you lost it all over the course of the years like you're a degenerate gambler you can probably stick around and do this again where you make some money and lose it or you can like actually fucking apply yourself and make some substantial changes to hopefully keep more of the gains if this happens again so i went through this whole process of like being super risk averse and only dollar cost averaging into ethereum and later tezos and it wasn't until like Uniswap summer in 2020 that I started being risk on crypto again. Like for the 2018 November through like May or June of 2020, I just told myself, 
every paycheck, buy a little bit, stash it, don't trade it, don't put it on Cryptopia or another shitcoin exchange <laughs> and try to yeah. make more of it. Like if you can just buy 10 or 20 ETH over the course of the next year, when at the time ETH was going between, like, I think at the lows it was like $80, but it wasn't over $500. <laughs> wow. And it was like every paycheck, I was able to buy like one or two or three ETH. And it was just like, okay, let's just keep doing that and try not to gamble it away. So I did that for a couple of years. And then Uniswap summer happened. I took two ETH from my, you know, little nest egg that I told myself I couldn't touch. And I put it in a new wallet and I gambled on Uniswap shitcoins. And within like two or three months, that two ETH was worth 50 ETH. Okay. I started buying CryptoPunks. They were like three and a half, four ETH at the time. And I was like super risk averse still. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can only own like one or two punks. Like this is just too risky. And then I flipped the punk for the first time. And it was like, holy shit, I'm playing RuneScape again. In RuneScape, I would trade the very illiquid high-end flex items. Uh, in old school RuneScape, that is the third age pickaxe. Um, <laughs> but in RuneScape, like the old version of RuneScape, that is the party hat, which is like, Everybody who's 30 now as a kid grew up wanting a party hat and they were thousands of dollars in the game. And when I did that punk trade, it was like, holy shit, this is like I'm playing RuneScape. I need to put more money into these things. So I think at the peak, I had like 16 punks or 12 or 16 punks in okay. like January 2021. And that was when I took all my money out of DeFi, a through risk management out the window. And I was like, yeah, if I have 50 ETH, like I need to own 45 ETH worth of punks. And then I spent the next like six months, uh, eight to 16 hours a day in the punks discord all day, every day, watching the punk bot, buying, selling any punk that seemed like I could make 10% or more in ETH on. And um, that was my life until the summer of 2021. I eventually quit my Web2 job and joined the uh, fractional startup. They later rebranded to Tessera and then later closed, but um, was with them for two years. And while doing that, actively traded a bunch and hosted a bunch of Twitter spaces and collected a bunch of art. And shit just got kind of really crazy for a couple of years. And now it seems like, you know, it's quiet again and no one gives a shit and it's kind of nice. <laughs> but yeah, that was a really long-winded yeah. story. I'm sorry that... Uh, <laughs> the rabbit hole question but yeah it definitely goes back to playing a bunch of video games growing up doing a little bit of gambling and daily fantasy teaching myself like risk management portfolio management and how to not blow up i think was the most important part because there's like another world where i just took all that money that i dollar cost averaged for two years and then gambled on the wrong uniswap coins and like deposited more didn't buy any punks and then i just sat on the sidelines coping so very grateful <laughs> that i bought the right tokens that went up that summer and uh got lucky honestly yeah no it, it wasn't long-winded at all i like that you're drawing this parallel between like the shitcoin casino and and runescape and like trading in-game items i used to play runescape and then later uh world of warcraft and something interesting about those games is that like even though they're like in-game items that are like not real they do actually have real world value like there are mm -hmm. people who sell them to people for like dollars and so then it's like yeah it's an in-game exchange and like this in-game currency but it's also like it's kind of real and like christmas crackers i don't, I don't yep. know like if 
you remember, but like, yeah, the party you know, that shit's expensive. I almost think that you can kind of think of Ethereum as like a like a multiplayer game. Like it's probably PvP, sure. <laughs> not not PvE, but it's like this kind of this global game that people are playing. And like right now, there's so few people actually actively playing that I think an MMO is kind of a good mental model for better or for worse. Like I think this is probably some form of like I don't know, almost like a financial and like cultural MMO with like not so much of a graphical user interface. It's just like these dApps and other protocols that we interact with. But anyway, that's my long-winded response. I, I could riff on that all day. Like we could just go down the MMO rabbit hole, but it definitely feels like, you know, normally when you play an MMO, you know, the inflation of the currency in the game is going mm-hmm. to be very high through bosses, raids, and runescape. There's the high-level alchemy spell, which just trade like basically takes a resource and turns it into gold by using nature runes. And <laughs> you just always know there's going to be more gold in the game and that the price of the gold is going to go down versus the dollar on like a five plus year time horizon. Like that's just a guaranteed thing. But when you get into the Ethereum ecosystem in particular, or any of these crypto ecosystems, it's like, well, the base currency is ETH, and you actually probably think that ETH will go up over the next five years rather than down. And it's like you're now trading assets to accumulate more of the in-game gold because you think the in-game gold itself is mm-hmm. going to go up versus the dollar, not that like you just want to cash it out to the dollar ASAP. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my first introductions to crypto, and I fucked it up. It was like 2013, 2014. Old School RuneScape just came out in 2013. Gold is trading over $5 a million. And a lot of people were accepting payment in Bitcoin. And I thought it was too stupid. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, just send me PayPal money. Like, I want to buy a plane ticket to go see my wife. Like, I'll just use PayPal. And I didn't take that initial... like curious look into crypto for like four years after I had heard about it because I thought like, oh, all my yeah. friends on RuneScape, they're just like buying fucking drugs and then like selling the drugs for more money. And like, I don't want to deal drugs. <laughs> and like my dealer lives down the street and takes cash. And like, I don't really need to get into this crypto yeah. thing. Yeah, it's always funny hearing about the stories where you almost got into crypto, but you didn't. And then you later get into crypto and you like always think about the time where like you almost did, but like you didn't. I first heard about crypto in like 2020 and I was listening on spaces on Clubhouse about all these photographers that were like starting to join like foundation. And like at the time, I was still trying to understand like what an NFT was. Then I like dismissed it and then like came back to it a year later and like it was like the bull and it was like, okay, like it's a lot more than like what I had initially thought it was. And then Matthew and I kind of at like the peak of the bull and like there was all like the ohm forks going on oh, man. Like with DeFi. <laughs> Matthew was starting to get into DeFi and like yeah. we had kind of bought at the top with like an ENS airdrop that he got and then kind of like lost like everything that I'm just we getting roasted apparently <laughs> so, <laughs> we like the own forks and like from that experience we kind of like learned a lot like in this bear like okay like we're not gonna do the same thing that we did last time because like you almost lost all your money so like I feel like a lot of people learn from their mistakes like okay like I'm not gonna do this again like I'm gonna you know try different strategy and learn how this shit works so that like I don't like fuck up as badly it's always funny because we always tell ourselves after 
a near catastrophe or a catastrophe that like oh we're not gonna let that happen again and then it seems like two or three years later we will throw that experience out the window and do some dumb shit exactly the same as we did before and then be surprised that it like didn't go differently uh i had that happen with nfts where it's like i felt like i had too big of an audience and couldn't sell and i put way too much value in the social status or whatever of like holding these jpegs versus like you know i could sell these and retire my mom and dad which like i didn't do and that's one of my biggest regrets and it's like Mm. i really try to force myself to think about that regret semi-frequently so that if this happens again Mm. like i don't make that same mistake again like I did well and I'm very lucky and thankful. But on the other hand, I definitely made a lot of mistakes where like I thought my perceived status or whatever was tied to ownership of certain things and then I couldn't sell them. And that took a while to break, which is kind mm. of painful when you look back in hindsight. Like you look at some of your old screenshots and you're just like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the screenshot rule is a good, very always important. a good yeah. thing to keep in mind. Like yeah. anytime you're screenshotting something, it's like, oh, that's a that's a top signal. Like you need to be selling this shit because it's screenshot worthy. Like <laughs> yeah, bad if you're sign. tweet it on yeah. Twitter, like you need to sell half of it. That's just kind of the rule. I wanted to ask because, like, we're talking about like the trading both the altcoins, but also NFTs, but. In addition to that, like you also have like a really extensive one of one art collection. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about like your interest in visual art and like why you collect this type of work in addition to like PFP collections when it comes to NFTs. Yeah, so the art I collect, the motivations are way different than like the PFPs and the other NFTs. A lot of the art I collected was profit from flipping NFTs or flipping something in crypto. It was like you get to a certain point where you're lucky, but you're also like, you know, the marginal value of another dollar just isn't what it was three months ago before everything blew up. So it's starting to look for ways to kind of give back in a way. And I started talking to a bunch of artists on crypto spaces around the same time that summer. And I started to realize like before 2021 summer, I really had only collected two physical Pepe paintings that I found on Rarible, Pepe memes, and I minted a bunch of art blocks, but I didn't have any like one-on-one art. But I wasn't really in tune with how an artist thinks about their process, what goes behind creating some of their work and how they share it and that type of stuff. It was much more like, oh, this is funny and like I want to own it. Or with art blocks, it was addiction which right before I got into art blocks, like my first art block, I'm into the squiggle, like the last week of November in 2020. But mm. right before that, I had just spent like five grand on physical Pokemon cards over the last two months <laughs> going to every fucking Target and Walmart in my state, like not my state, but in our city. Yeah. And I was just like really addicted to ripping packs. Like I knew it was minus EV and then I was losing money, but like, the idea that I could get, you know, this Charizard or this Pikachu or whatever, <laughs> whatever was like enough to keep me addicted. So when I got an art box, I felt the same addiction 
and I didn't even know like what I was looking for. Like I didn't know what first edition Shadowless Charizard looked like on art blocks. But at the time it was just super addicting to mint them and they were like 30 bucks. So I was just like, <laughs> let me just keep minting these. And I thought they'd be there forever or maybe not forever, but I thought they would last a long time. So I would mint mm. like a one at 15 guay and then play League of Legends <laughs> and wait for the notification to go off. And that might be like the only thing I minted that day. And then I'd come back the next day and, and do it again. Fast forward to when they closed, I ended up with like 50 squiggles. And then the summer went crazy and like squiggles are worth over five ETH. All this art block stuff I had just bought is now worth a ton of money. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I don't like some of this as much as I thought I did. Like my squiggles I love, but then there were other projects where I didn't love them as much. So I started selling them. And then I started talking to artists on Twitter spaces about their one-on-one art. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Like one of the first artists I talked to is Kaf Samard. And we started talking about some of her adventures up in the Canadian Rockies and fighting mm -hmm. off bears and staying overnight <laughs> in caves and creating these composites that are, you know, nightscapes she shot blended with all sorts of different photos of the same location to kind of make like her surreal reality of that location, even though that's not reality out in the real world. So I started talking yeah. to her and I started getting into a bunch of adventure photography, like listening to people going to like remote areas for one or two weeks at a time, climbing glaciers. And I mean, this is probably a really shitty analogy, but it's like growing up, like I used to watch like a lot of like Bear Grylls or like the Discovery Channel yeah. and just like watching those episodes of some survivor or explorer going on a trek. Like there was this one dude on Discovery Channel who would he would videotape himself. It wasn't like he had a crew with him. Like he would be going through like Antarctica, moving the cameras. And then there'd be like footage of him walking from like one camera to the other camera to like move it to the next spot. And then that kind of energy reminded me a lot of some of these artists because they do like behind the scenes stuff. I just thought it was super cool. And I thought, what better stuff to hang on my wall than like stuff I have a story to talk about? Because before that we had the two Pepe's and like an Ikea painting. Or an, <laughs> not a painting, uh, a canvas, a printed yeah. canvas. It, but we didn't really have any art around the house. And like, if we did, it wasn't anything that you could have a conversation around. So like, mm -hmm. we got the calves really early on and they were hung up in our house. And then I noticed like every time people came over, they asked about them. We'd have like a 15 minute conversation about calf, her adventures, her story of like, oh, I started out in the fashion industry and modeling and doing all this stuff. And I hated it. So I just like moved to Australia and worked a bunch of physical labor jobs, like picking bananas and sorting bananas and all this shit. And like I did that for a couple of years to give myself uh, freedom to create and figure out what I wanted to do. And then like that's how she found her love of landscape photography. I don't know. Having those type of stories around all the pieces in the house got really addicting because then like anytime mm -hmm. anyone visited they, you know, point out the pop wonder and I get to talk about him or point out killer acid, get to talk about him, point out Jubish J, talk about him. It's just fun to have all these stories. I didn't really buy any of the art thinking I would make any profit. It was much more like I'm buying this to either put up in our house or if it's not going in our house, I'm going to probably put it in a on cyber gallery or now I've gotten a little bit more into DECA. I've been trying to create mm -hmm. a one-stop shop that's like an infinite scroll. So you could see my whole collection <laughs> in one scrolling. But it was this intent of like, okay, I'm going to have a bunch of art 
the display technology might not be there right now, but like I can build virtual galleries. And eventually we're going to get to a day where there is some type of digital display that I like. Like I haven't bought one yet. I've seen a bunch of them. At one point in time, there's going to be a way for me to display all this stuff that isn't yeah. printed and physical, but it's digital. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, I'll have this massive collection with profit that I probably would have just shit away gambling anyway. <laughs> so I just kind of went down the whole rabbit hole of adventure photography, psychedelic lowbrow art. I, I really seem to like, like I bring up Killer Acid and Pop Wonder all the time, but there's a whole crew of them, like uh, Wooden Cyclops and Lurk Loves You. And, and then the photography stuff was the most unexpected because I had never been a photographer or adventurer mm -hmm. but the story behind the adventure really brought me into collecting the photography where it was like okay if i can get myself in the shoes of the adventurer who took this photo or created this piece then i feel a lot more connected to it than just like scrolling instagram and looking at completely beautiful but also soulless creations because i don't know any of the backstory behind either the artist or the piece itself mm. one thing that's interesting about photography like in the crypto ecosystem is like coming from the traditional world like there are so many barriers it feels very competitive in like a fine art context like going to shows like the mystery of finding a collector like finding an art dealer like it's very hard in the traditional world and so like coming into crypto like i noticed so many artists but also collectors would like take profits and then put it back into art and it was like creating this like regenerative cycle of like funding artists and like i had never seen that concept applied in like the traditional context of like someone sells like a print and then they go and buy like other people's prints like to me like it felt more emphasized of like trying to like build everyone up so that like we all win instead of like emphasis on like one person's like success yeah it was definitely an interesting like almost like a flywheel where i mm -hmm. knew if i put 10 ETH into like art nfts i could probably bet that five of that ETH would get recycled into other artist NFTs, essentially. Like if I bought something for 10 ETH, it's probably a decent chance that the person would take like five of that ETH and buy something else. But it was also kind of dangerous in the tax scenario where a bunch <laughs> of, like I remember trying to tell people this on spaces because I thought too many people were doing that with like too much, a ch like too big of a chunk. Like they essentially weren't accounting for taxes and they're like, oh, I have 10 grand. And it's like, well, no, you probably have like 6,500 maybe of that 10 grand. And like you have to keep that 30, 40%, depending on what tax record you're in, for the government because you're not going to be happy when you're calculating your taxes. And like a lot of people, <laughs> I know artists who made, you know, 50 plus ETH in August, September, October. And they put all of that ETH into like, cryptos cool cats and their friends 101s and then when they had to pay taxes the next year it was like cool cats are down big toads are down bigger the 101s are liquid so a lot of people got kind of fucked over there and i felt bad when i was hosting a bunch of spaces that summer i was trying to communicate this like balance of like i know you see me buying a bunch of stuff but there's a thought process behind it. It's not just like, oh, I got money, I'm going to spend it. It's like, no, like <laughs> I made 10 ETH, I put one ETH into art. I put three ETH into a new wallet that I'm not going to touch. And 
I know a lot of people had to learn that firsthand and like me telling them that did nothing. But then once they <laughs> learned it firsthand, it's like, okay, I see them not making the same mistakes. What, what I've actually done too is just starting collecting more in groups. So instead of feeling like I need to come up with all the capital myself, it's a little easier. Uh, I collect in like a group of three with Megazord. And then we have another group of 15 with the Metropolitan Fund, the Met Fund. But it's just way easier to collect in a group because then you're able to say like, you know, I like this 101 for 5 ETH. Like you want to split it five ways. I know you own what, thousands of NFTs, but I, I don't know how many one of ones you own. But like, what are some of the favorite things, like favorite pieces that are in your vault or like in some of your wallets? Like, like what stands out to you from that like huge collection? Yeah, I mean, my favorite piece is still probably the punk as silly as that sounds. It's like kind of the one that started my love of collecting NFTs. I still remember going through the the punks and trying to figure out, you know, what's my favorite punk. And I found this message I put in the punks discord three weeks before I got my punk, which was, yeah, punk 465 is my favorite human punk. Like it has everything I want. So the fact I was able to get it like three weeks later is still kind of mind blowing to me. Um, Outside of the punk, really attached to my Skull of Lucy, probably the biggest purchase I've had this year. I sold a Fidenza and a Ringer. And then a few days later, unexpectedly, like I, I didn't sell the Fidenza in the Ringer thinking that I would go ahead and spend 60 ETH on a skull right after. <laughs> but it just kind of happened that way. I sold them. I got a text a few days later from a friend and he was like, hey, someone just listed a skull like 15 ETH under the last sale. I don't know if you are interested, but you might want to check it out. And I went there on the website on OpenSea and saw that it was one that was a blue skull with a red background with a gold nugget penetrating its forehead. And I just thought to myself, like, this is perfect. Like, the red and blue is 3D glasses. That's like kind of something I look for in a lot of pieces. And then the gold nugget was just kind of symbolic of uh, maybe wealth getting to the brain a little too much and kind of mm. reminded me of myself in some ways. The squiggles I minted are like my babies. I still have... <laughs> maybe 12 I minted okay. of the 16 total. The other ones I bought on secondary because I like I needed a pipe. And I sold my first Hyper Rainbow for four ETH and I really regretted it. Like I minted it, <sighs> sold it in January 2021 to buy a Floor Punk. Because Floor Punks at that time were like four or five ETH, which is kind of crazy to think about. But I told myself a few months later, like I need a hyper rainbow to complete this collection. Like I feel like I gave my my child up for adoption <laughs> when I didn't realize, like you know, my child my child was Albert Einstein. <laughs> so I, I ran back to the adoption center and got a new one. Uh, I told my friend when I bought it from him, I think I paid sixteen ETH. I said, you know, I'm never gonna sell this unless it's like worth over a million dollars. And then a lot of the art blocks I minted outside of the squiggle, I'm really fond of. There's a couple singularities minted on uh, January 1st, 2021. The 101 side of things, like not the generative side, there's a piece mm-hmm. called Shelter by Pop Wonder. Probably, if not my favorite 101 piece, it's definitely top three. There's a couple killer acids I'm super fond of. One of them's called The Persistence of Cats. And it kind of takes uh, Dolly's persistence of time piece and 
redoes it in Killer Acid's version with cats instead of clocks. And I have a gazer I really like from Matt Cain. I know that goes back to generative art, but the gazer is uh, super complex. It's always updating. It's the only piece I have where every time I look at it, it's something different. And other than that, a lot of the stuff I co-collect, I'm really fond of. We have a couple nicer Pop Wonders. We have an artist named Xerox. We have his Genesis super rare piece in the Megazord vault. Uh, Zade Kurtzy, I own a piece of his with Sobe, which is awesome because I'll never be able to afford one of his normal 101s. Co-collect a couple pieces with Sobe. I actually have a really nice photography piece called Salt and Dust from Jubish J. I talked about him earlier. I have this pair of photos from Summer Wagner. She has mm. this tangled thread collection on foundation and the pieces kind of speak to a childhood trauma growing up with like narcissistic parents and uh interesting household and i I connected with her after seeing the pieces i kind of sent her my interpretation of them and we bonded a lot over shared experiences and then like i bought the combo of the two pieces so i could keep them together because they kind of tell the the before and after of the story and I know there's more that I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but those are kind of just some of the ones that come to mind. Oh, there's a, <laughs> another piece <laughs> by Brooke D. Donato called Growing in Odd Directions, where she's sitting in a chair and covered in flowers. And the flowers are like pink and light blue. And I, I just collect a bunch of stuff that is like 3D glasses vibes. So <laughs> if you have... Any type of reds contrasted with any type of blues and a very pleasing aesthetic. I am a sucker because I love keeping a bunch of similar colored pieces together in real life and also in the virtual galleries. If you look at my infinite scroll, it's kind of set up so that the colors should flow even though you're going from generative art to the psychedelic lowbrow trippy stuff to fine photography to Mm -hmm. conceptual photography to whatever, it's like the color still should flow throughout the whole thing, even though the uh, art genres of each specific piece can be vastly different between like row to row. You once compared the high that you get from (laughs) drugs to like, the first time of like the high that you get off of like flipping nfts and crypto which yeah. is a really interesting comparison that i hadn't really thought of before i was wondering if you could talk a bit about like your relationship to weed and psychedelics and like what role they play in your life yeah um so recently in june i did a sober month where i didn't smoke weed and that was the first time I've taken a break longer than two weeks since uh, I got out of college. And (laughs) before that, I had taken a week-long break in January of this year to record season two of the We Do Little Pod. And my weed use goes back to being in college. I got a job where I worked midnight to 7 a.m. And I had to fall asleep between like 4 and 6 p.m., and instead of taking like ZZZ Quill or any type of uh, melatonin or sleeping aid, I just started smoking weed with my roommate. And it became this thing of like, okay, we're going to smoke, listen to music, eat something and go to bed. And that was fun. I mean, that was cool. Six months. But eventually that job shifted to a normal schedule. And it got to the point where I was like, why don't I just smoke now? Like, I'm not going to bed, but... It's fun to be high. And, 
you know, little by little, you develop this increasing addiction and tolerance to the feeling of being high. And you go through the, the hierarchy of, okay, I'm smoking out of a bowl or I'm smoking joints to like, oh, I just bought my first bong and this is cool. Oh, I just got a volcano vape. Like we're getting up there. And then the next thing you know, like somebody invites you over for this thing called a dab. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, what's this? So like you go over somebody's house in college. It's like a frat house. There's this filthy dab rig uh, <laughs> that no one's probably cleaned in like a month. Torch on the table. Looks like you're about to smoke, I don't know, crack or some hard, hard <laughs> drug. Yeah. And you're like, yo, I got class in like 90 minutes. Is this <laughs> oh what I should be doing? And then like you hit your first dab and you just sink into the couch and you miss class and you order a smoothie and you're just like, wow, life is good. Um, <laughs> maybe I don't need this all, all day. So then you don't dab again for like three more years and you go back to the flower. And then eventually you're just like the flower isn't doing it. You know, I could smoke 10 joints in a row. I'm not going to feel very high. Like, how do I get higher? <laughs> oh, yeah, that dab thing I took in college. So then start smoking dabs. It's hard to find a dealer in an illegal state for good quality dabs. So you're smoking like BHO extracts that are $20 a gram and they look like oil tar. (laughs) Um, Eventually you're looking online and you see this Delta 8 stuff and you're like, oh, like this is $20 a gram, but doesn't look like oil tar. Like maybe this is better for me. So then you start smoking Delta 8 dabs and then eventually somehow you get popular on twitter and start posting your weed setups and then people start calling you a crackhead and then from there you just start taking all the advice that all the stoners on twitter give you and the next thing you know you have like three different types of portable dab rigs you're smoking a hundred dollars a gram like ultra high end solventless concentrates and you feel like you've ascended and then the next thing you know you're like how much am I spending a month on weed? Like, is this, this is more than our mortgage? Like, okay, maybe I can, like, tone this down. Um, so that's oh, kind man. of been my weed story over the last 10 years or so, but it's definitely been an unintentional thing where, like, just did it first to fall asleep. I really like the feeling. The sober month kind of taught me I'm kind of an irritated, ornery, miserable fuck when I'm not... <laughs> high or not even high like right now i'm not high but i know that after this is done i'm gonna go smoke and go for a walk and like everything is good whereas when i was sober for a month it was like i'm gonna go for a walk and i'm gonna come back and like not be able to smoke and then i'm gonna have to like write more of that fucking Substack article that i hate and then (laughs) after i write that i'm gonna like adhere to this new diet i'm on that i don't like but i'm losing weight so like i like losing weight but i can't just go eat fucking fruit gushers when i'm stoned (laughs) and you're just kind of going out and about doing chores or errands with your wife and like miserable for some reason and you're like what's wrong man maybe being high for part of the day is actually beneficial for my demeanor and I, I never want to glorify smoking weed. Like I never, and this is really bad because I have a, a younger brother. I was the only child till I was 14. And mm-hmm. then I got a brother, a sister, and another sister over the course of three years. Wow. And, uh, you know, I know my brother has been caught vaping multiple times and he's like, what, 16 now? 
Mm-hmm. And it's just like, dude, like I didn't smoke weed until I was 20. I didn't smoke it when I was in middle school. I thought it was like heroin. And <laughs> it definitely isn't like a performance enhancing drug. I definitely feel like I make stupider decisions and hold things too long and gamble on things. I shun it more often than not when I'm permastoned. But also, like, there are some aspects of it that do make me a better person. Specifically, I'm much more, I feel like, talkative and sociable when I'm stoned or know I can be stoned. And also, I just feel like I'm more empathetic. I'm less irritable and ornery. I'm much more able to just go with the flow. Like, when I'm not high and I'm sober for a month and, like, something unexpected comes up in the day-to-day, I just for whatever reason, have a really hard time dealing with this. Like, oh my God, I got to fucking go 45 minutes out of my way to do this pointless thing. Like, what the fuck? Like, fuck this. And like, <laughs> when you're higher, it's like, it's fine. Yeah, it's 45 minutes, I'm not going to get back. But like, we got it done. Psychedelics are a way more recent. I know you asked about those too. I didn't take any psychedelics until 2020 summer. I was pretty scared of how I would react. I, I think... Mm. With psychedelics, you have to be ready for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to just dive it like like weed. You can dive into, and you know maybe you smoke too much and you go to sleep early, and like maybe 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 you have this like short burst of paranoia and existential dread that that goes away fairly quickly. But with like psychedelics, I had read things where you know people weren't themselves after they tripped and they saw life completely differently and some people had like psychotic breaks after tripping and you know some people it would trigger like early schizophrenia in them or something and i just had all these weird ideas in my head of like oh if i trip i'm gonna be a paranoid schizophrenic or like if i trip like something bad's gonna happen so i didn't do it for the longest time and then that 2020 summer it was more of like a you know pandemic was kind of changing everything around us Mm-hmm. Life does not feel normal. I think I'm finally ready to maybe expand my consciousness a little bit. Let me dabble very smallly in like mushroom microdoses. So I would take like 0.2 grams or less and I would just go through my normal work day working from home. And this was before I was on the fractional tester team. This was like the summer before I was still working my old government job doing IT shit. And, mm-hmm. um, I didn't really feel much of a difference. Like I felt a little happier, a little easy going, but like I couldn't really perceptually feel anything. So some point I just decide like I'm going to eat an eighth, which I don't recommend to anybody. Like I, I don't recommend that you go from microdosing a little bit to eating an eighth. I would much rather recommend like try a half gram, then a gram, then a gram and a half, like work yourself up the ladder a half gram each time while taking some time off between the experiences so that you don't push your tolerance too too fast, too quick. But anyway, I took the eighth and like, I still remember the day really well. It's like you have a hero's journey condensed into a day. It kind of feels like that day was its own lifetime and I lived it and then I died and then I came back to life a different person. And it feels kind of weird to like say that, but I think anyone who's had a a big trip probably understands that feeling of like ego death where... Mm -hmm. You're kind of just disassociating out of reality. And for me, it was like I was staring into this ottoman and the threads of the ottoman. I was like getting lost in the infinity of the threads and like felt myself just falling in the space and 
like decomposing. It felt like my body was decomposing, if that <laughs> makes any sense. Like you're just like laying on the ground, unable to move. Like you can look out of your eyes and see things and think, but like not really able to have a cohesive view of reality or what's going on. And that experience, I think, really helped me with like some depression I was going through at the time. And it gave me a really fresh perspective on life of like, wow, you really only get like one life. And that was kind of how it felt like to die. But I didn't die. I'm still alive. And mm -hmm. I have a lot of life left to live. And like, I'm super thankful for that. I'm super, like, I start looking at trees differently. Like I, I never understood the tree hugger phrase or stereotype until taking mushrooms and going outside and thinking like, wow, this tree is like older than my dad. Like we had this like old pine tree outside our old house. It was like probably a 75-ish year old tree. And I was like, I was like connecting with that tree. <laughs> weird, but I understood <laughs> why people want to hug trees uh, while they're on psychedelics after that because you just realize like, wow, this tree has been through like this land being developed and torn down and redeveloped again. And like it's fucking in between two driveways, you know, barely given any room and here it is this wonderful old magnificent fucking tree anyway psychedelics after that trip became a little bit of a problem for me i went through a phase from christmas to new year's eve where i doubled my psychedelic dose every day just to see like oh what does this look like if you use it recreationally like weed oh. horrible mm. idea uh by the end of the week i had to have my wife move the guns in the house because I thought I was in an inception level dream where I had to shoot myself to like come out of my dream. Oh. And uh, I just lost like track of reality. And from that week span on, I've never taken more than a gram of mushrooms since. It's been like a pretty fine line with me where I remember that week really well. I remember losing my mind and thinking I might not come back down. And mm -hmm. I'm good for the meantime from having another one of those like hero's journey experiences. Like I feel like I can remember the first one and then that following week well enough that I don't need to like open up the, the rabbit hole again anytime soon. <laughs> but I do think that first trip was really helpful in making me grateful and hungry for life again. Like I think I just kind of fell in this apathetic, unconnected rut. And that trip in particular was like, whoa, like we're so blessed to be here and healthy. And like I have two legs and two arms and like I can pick up things and I can think and like build shit like, holy fuck. Like, I don't know. There's just like something crazy about that first trip that I'll always look back fondly of. And I just always want to caution people to hear about psychedelic use and hear it glorified that like. You definitely want to wade into it. You don't want to dive off the deep end your first time. You definitely want to be around somebody you can trust who is not on a heavy psychedelic dose. For me, it's my wife, but you know, some people it's a friend, some people it's a partner, whatever. Just make sure you're not alone. Because when I was alone thinking about the gun stuff, it was one bad thought could have led me to a gun, putting it to my head and shooting myself. And like, I not suicidal or no intention to kill myself, but at that frame of time, mm -hmm. given what I thought reality was, that was a potential outcome. And like, I don't want anybody to have any type of experience close to that if, if I can give them some type of guidance beforehand. Yeah. 
I don't know. How, how have they been for you? I'm assuming, are you fans? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I've done a fair bit of psychedelics and I did have like an ego death that first night. I remember like even the month after, like I, I really felt reborn. I had regained so much confidence. I had worked through so much childhood trauma. I was working at like a photo lab at the time and like you just get like the worst customers. Like I had people that would just come <laughs> and like scream at me and like it, it wouldn't necessarily be something that I had done wrong, but you just kind of had to sit there and take it. And You're like the punching bag. Yeah. Yeah. And like what would otherwise like ruin my day or like make me feel really bad. I was able to just like deal with the customer, go into the back room, take like a deep breath. And like in five seconds, I was like back to where I was. And like it was just like insane to like not have like so much anxiety and like depression and we actually did mushrooms on the weekend with matthew for the first time it was his first time doing mushrooms nice how was that experience Matt? it was it was interesting um we did about two grams or a little bit a little bit less but yeah around that went for a walk and then we came back and listened to some music um we have like uh well it's maybe like a bit more my hobby than Briley's, but we're, we're into like hi-fi speakers and stuff. And uh, so we have like a pretty serious two-channel music system at home and we listened to Dark Side of the Moon and it was like a really, I think, profound experience. So there were like some moments we were listening to that where it was like, it was kind of heavy and you start thinking about, yeah, like death and You start hearing kind of, the planes going <laughs> well it was it was interesting because like we have a we have a tv like on our wall you know, right behind the speakers and it was kind of like like when you're listening to that music like it's very cinematic in a lot of ways and so it was kind of like you're like watching this movie but it was really just the music um and uh yeah so that that part was it was it was good but it was like it was intense and um brought up a lot of things but then there were also moments that were like really funny um uh, there is this song um called uh is it thousand finger man yeah or, yeah <laughs> and it's uh it, it's a really good it's a really good track but the the same artist has made the has the same a song by the same name on two different albums and the two versions are super different it's like one, a different song yeah like one, one is like this jazzy kind of funk track and then the other one is more of like uh, almost like electronic or Since. like yeah like a, a very very different um anyway so briley was <laughs> trying to listen to this song she wanted to listen to this after we had listened to you know all this other stuff that was a bit heavier so she puts it on but it's not the one that she was expecting and so it's this like jazzy song with this like trombone <laughs> in it and there's there's like this trombone sound through it that goes like <laughs> and we <laughs> we were listening to this i don't know why but I, I guess we were just fucking stupid but like uh we, we use this phone app to control the system and so it played like three times or something. So we just kept hearing this trombone like, <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, this brought back this memory that I had because um, I, I used to be a classical musician, uh, a jazz musician, and played this musical, this music festival in um, in Halifax. And I met this very famous jazz trombonist named Ian McDougall. You can look him up. He's like a very good jazz trombonist. And there was just this moment on during this festival where like I had to like uh, pick him up at the airport with the, uh, the, with the festival organizer. So I was in this car with a jazz trombonist and it was just like this kind of Bill Murray moment in my life where I'm just like in this car with this famous jazz trombonist who like wears a fedora and like, <laughs> I don't know, it's just like this very surreal like kind of 
most cinematic moments. So we just like lost or we were just laughing so much at this story of this jazz trombonist while this music was playing with this like <laughs> going like repeatedly. And then eventually we found the right version of the song that Bradley was looking for. And we, we continued on our day. But it was just, I don't know, just that moment was just particularly funny. I don't know if you have any other moments that stood out to you but yeah i find with mushrooms you can get into like random laughing fits about something every time it's like different but like you'll just laugh about something random like i remember doing one mushrooms once on like the beach and like i just thought it was like so funny that there's like boat people like people that like go out on a boat and they go across the lake and they just like wave at people they have no idea who they are <laughs> but the, you know that's their fucking life they they do that they go home they have dinner the wife's like you know what'd you do today oh i went on the boat you know it was a good ride and like every day that's like their life and like i just thought it was so interesting that like that is like their thing and like i have my thing and like we all have like our things and you get into like these like philosophical things that are just like funny when you like think about it like so deeply that i really enjoy no, i love that I, the boat people you just start thinking about all the weird things that seem perfectly normal when you're sober but when you take a step back and look at them you're like that's fucking weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like dark side is a i mean it was the also the album i listened to on that first trip it was like six hours into the trip i got off the phone with my friend he told me that everything was gonna be okay and i just needed to smoke some weed and then i smoked some weed and then put on dark side and it was just like whoa like i see why everyone says to do this because <laughs> This is way different than when I've listened to this sober. It's not even close. Uh, and then you start like, I don't know, I start talking to people who are like, yeah, you got to put Alice in Wonderland on muted and then listen to Dark Side <laughs> over Alice in Wonderland muted. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> what are we doing? Um, but I could definitely see that. Like, I don't want to make it sound like you just take mushrooms and everything's great, but it's like everything's different. And music in particular is like what I love to do. It's like I have a playlist that's 20 hours long. I just throw that on. Normally pick like, because it's a bunch of albums put together. Like I, I find on Mushrooms, I like albums a lot more than mm. singular songs. It's like I want to have an hour or two hours of just unfiltered front to back music. And I don't want to like curate my favorite songs into like a mix on shuffle it's much more about like the continuity hmm. and especially the older albums that are created because they're supposed to be listened to front to back yeah. mm -hmm. first like the newer albums that are created where it's like five hit singles plastered around another like 10 songs that don't fit the vibes as well mm -hmm. uh but it's made me appreciate like people I, like dawn fm is like a newer album that's come out that i think is meant to be listened to front to back and when you listen to that on mushrooms it's completely different but then some of the other albums i've listened to maybe like some of the little peep ones uh that maybe maybe i shouldn't be listening to little peep on mushrooms <laughs> but like they don't hit nearly the same as like yeah. the ones that are you know meant to be front to back listened to and I think that's important too at the mushrooms was like, yeah, make sure you have multiple hours of like front to back stuff that is continuous and not mm. a bunch of like your liked songs on shuffle, <laughs> essentially, where it's just throwing you like a Kanye song and then a heavy rock song oh, and yeah. then like Claire de Lune or something and <laughs> you're just all over the place. Yeah, it, it was interesting too, like psychoacoustically, like because our, our speakers are they're a, a certain like level of like audio equipment that they 
do you actually make like a pretty convincing like image between them um like you can't really sense that there's like a left and a right speaker you just Mm -hmm. kind of like perceive the instruments in space but like there was kind of this feeling of like it being like bigger so you could actually like hear the music like it was basically like the size of the entire like wall of the apartment like it was just so like big and expansive and you could like hear things really far off in the distance it was a pretty you can feel the vibration, which sounds like the most cliche, stupid thing to <laughs> say. Does. Like, oh yeah, bro, the vibes. The yeah. vibes. But literally, like <laughs> the physical vibration of the bass and the sound mm. hitting the hairs on your skin. It's like completely different. And when you yeah. say it sober, it sounds like you're a bit loopy in a way. <laughs> but it's literally like, no, the the vibrations feel differently. <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was really cool but yeah like uh i i I could see it being almost like not therapeutic but like a a way to kind of like work through something that maybe you don't necessarily want to deal with but you can kind of come to a a different understanding or maybe you're able to get past something that you're kind of blocked on if if that makes sense did you feel like afterwards like the next day you had uh new clarity on some type of situation in your life that maybe wasn't even consciously at the front of your mind but after the trip made mentally available for you to change if you wanted like for me i guess the example i'm thinking of for me is i realized how important a few friends were to me and how Mm. little i had reached out to them and actually talked to them about anything and when i was going through that trip I remember calling my friend like six. I I can't believe I did this. I called him like six times. Like he didn't answer any of them, but I called him. He didn't answer. I called him again. He didn't, like he had to think. I don't even know what he thought, but like the next day I talked to him and it was good. But it was one of those things where like I felt like I had to tell him that I cared about him and I loved him so much that like that was all that mattered there. And I had never had that thought before. Yeah, I've reached out to a lot of friends after trips that like I hadn't reached out to in a while, like the exact same, like, hey, like, I appreciate you. Like, let's hang out again. Yeah, I feel like it makes you like, really appreciate like what you haven't acknowledged or something that you're pushing away from, even if you're not like aware of it in like your like sober state. Yeah, that was the crazy thing to me. It was like definitely something I wasn't doing before. It was something I wasn't even really aware of that I wasn't doing. But then after that trip, it was like, oh, you need to like, you know, it kind of made me realize how short life is. Uh, If I can think about this 6529 thread about life being short way Mm -hmm. too much especially when it comes to like your family, your grandparents and your parents. It's like, I will do anything now to just like go hang out with my grandpa. There's a family event. There's no like, oh, well, you know, I'll go to the next one. And it's like, fuck, there might only be like four more family events. Like I need to go to this one. Yeah. So I think like that coupled with the psychedelics has helped me. So much of my time has been spent staring at screens, looking at numbers, gambling on something and it's like am i gonna look back when i'm 80 years old or 90 years old in my deathbed and be like man i really wish i like gambled on more jpegs (laughs) i really wish i took advantage of shitcoin season just a little more and like you know there's definitely times like right now where i do feel this need to be curious and be playing with what people are talking about on Twitter, because it does feel like one of those periods of time that are unique where you wake up and some absolute 
garbage can just go up 10 or 20x <laughs> in a day, an hour, a week, whatever. And those periods of time don't always come. And when they are here, it does feel good to take advantage of them. But also, like, you know, my mom has surgery this week. And I'm like, not gonna miss seeing her during surgery because Harry Potter, Bitcoin, Shiba, Inu, <laughs> 10 could 3x. Like, I just, it does like this fine line. Whereas, like, last 2020, I really didn't want to leave the house. I was like, yeah, babe, it'd be like nice to go on a date and go to the movies. But like, I just bought the attendees token and it's up 3x <laughs> and like, I probably need to sell it. And it's tough to balance yeah. all this shit because mm -hmm. I'm definitely somebody who wants to go like zero or 100. I don't want to be like a balanced person who <laughs> spends two hours a day reading and spends two hours a day exercising and spends two hours a day doing this and that. And the next thing they know, they spent 16 hours and eat different chunks. I am much more like I spent 16 hours a day doing this one thing. I showered, I ate, and like maybe I went for a 45 minute walk. And the rest of my day I spent doing that one thing. And that's kind of how my brain works for better or worse. And uh, is important to like try to take advantage of the time when it is good because you don't know. I mean, you just know that it's not going to last forever. Like you don't know how long it's going to last for. Like, you know, we had NFT summer in 2021 and it felt like in July it could end, but then August happened and everything went up 10x again. You're like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. uh, how does this happen? I guess I need to pay more attention. Uh, and I took a vacation during August 2021 and it was like the week everything topped and I missed <laughs> the ability to sell. And like, I remember being semi miserable on vacation. I went and hung out with Ice Bags and Sobe and Jubish J in Florida. And me and Mrs. D's were out there. And like CryptoPunks went from 40 ETH to 140 ETH and I didn't have my wallet on me. Like I had my Fuck. phone wallet, but I didn't have my wallet with all my yeah. assets. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking to myself, like this is the most expensive vacation I've ever taken. <laughs> um, I could have made literally like no joke. I would have definitely made over a million dollars just flipping punks that few days span because oh, I got the notification that uh, Visa bought punks while I was in the Uber to the airport to go to Florida. It was like 7 a.m. I'm sitting on Twitter on my phone. Uh, I see that notification. I tell Mrs. D's, like, maybe we should just turn around uh, and cancel. Like, I literally had that level of thought. Like, we should just cancel the vacation because we can go on vacation later after <laughs> Visa doesn't buy a punk. But, like, this is yeah. different. And I went on that vacation and just, like, it was fun. But I also remember thinking a lot of not great thoughts like we're at a nice resort eating oysters and i'm just like could have made a million dollars could have <laughs> could have been home flipping punts in my fucking underwear in the computer chair doing nothing made a million dollars but here i am on a beach eating fucking expensive oysters <laughs> i can't sell any of my shit just keeps going up like i hope it's up next week when i'm home because if it's not i'm gonna be even even worse <laughs> like I get home, I buy a CryptoPunk for 140 ETH. It's the absolute top of the market. And like three months later, I sell it for 88. <laughs> to have the fucking 60 ETH. It's tough. But psychedelics remind me that like, you know, there's more in life than just numbers going up and down and taking advantage of it. But also I try to tell myself, you know, when things are good, you don't know when they're going to be bad again. So you have to take advantage of the good times. At least for me, where my livelihood now is just directly 
correlated to how well does this industry do and how well do I gamble on the things this industry does. <laughs> and it's uh, definitely different than working a nine to five where you just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, when you're home at five, no one's going to call you and bother you and just like play video games for the next seven hours and not have a care in the world. But it's nice. It's like a nice <laughs> freedom in a way. If It is definitely freedom, even though it feels like sometimes it's a prison. If, uh, <laughs> yeah, crypto so Twitter a is definitely a prison. prison made for yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A beautiful prison. It, yeah. That's how I feel sometimes. I get on the bird app and I'm like, this is a really nice prison. So I, get on, <laughs> I get on X. And I, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. on X looking at all my X's on the X app. I don't even know. Is that what they're called? Like, what's your tweet on the X app? Is it like a tweet? Z? Is it a Z? Yeah. A Z? <laughs> Sounds like a zit. Yeah, it's yeah, terrible. But it yeah. does feel like a prison sometimes. You have all these people who expect all these things of you. And mm-hmm. I'm like a natural people pleaser. So when people want to do things, it's just like, yeah, I'll do that. And then like the time comes, you're like, man, why did I do that? Like, <laughs> I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wonder, like, how, how do you feel about being an influencer? Like, I, I know that word kind of sucks, but, you know, you have a large following on Twitter and obviously people are interested in what you're buying, when you're buying it, and likewise when you're selling. So, like, I, I wonder just generally thinking about influencers in crypto, like, there's a lot of bad actors who are, you know, pumping things up to dump them on their followers and obviously you're not at all like that but i'm wondering how you think about remaining ethical and you know true to your audience while also being a market participant like do you struggle with that at all or like i assume you think about this a lot as someone who's got you know hundreds of thousands of followers yeah it definitely makes talking about certain things harder like i have a alt twitter account that has less than 100 followers mm-hmm. and i always go to that when i feel like i need to call something in a way like Mm. just to get it out of my system like you don't want to be the influencer who has a hundred thousand plus followers who's talking about a shit coin that's like a 500k market cap with uh fifty thousand dollars worth of liquidity like that just looks pretty scummy but there's also this dgen in me who's like i just bought this coin and like i want to timestamp somewhere where I can go back and say I bought this when it was cheap. With the art side of stuff, it's like kind of nice being an influencer in the sense that I get to share and promote people who I'm really confident in and bullish in and like have spent significant time with IRL. You know, there's been some things that have happened where like I've spent time with people IRL quite a bit of time and like thought they were good vibes and then they launch a project and it's basically a rug or it feels like a rug. And then I was the person who was the reason why other people minted because they thought if I was supporting it, like, of course it wouldn't be a rug. Mm. Uh, And then after like a couple of those things happen, you just don't really want to publicly support anything like outside of a couple angel investments that you make and outside of the one-on-one art or art that's selling, like you don't really want to support NFT, like profile picture mints. You don't want to support shit coins. All you really want to support is art and ETH and, you know, Tezos or whatever L1 or L2 chain, but you don't really want to like wade out into those waters of... Normally what happens is like if you make a call because you like something, it's going to go two ways. 
if people are going to make money and they're going to give you no money in return for the call, like there's no tips, <laughs> there's no fucking incentive. And then they're going to think they're the genius because they're the ones who made the money anyway. But then if they lose money on the call, they're just going to externalize that blame. It's not like their fault mm-hmm. they lost money. It's like, oh, well, no, it's fucking Deez's fault because he told me <laughs> the project founder was good vibes. But like, yeah, you know, when you said Snowfro was good vibes when Squiggles were $30, like I'm a genius because I minted those. Like Deez doesn't know shit. I minted Squiggles. Yeah. But then yeah. like, something doesn't go like Squiggles went and they're like, oh, this, this Deez guy's just so full of shit. Like, I mean, I can't believe <laughs> that he didn't have the foresight to know after hanging out with these people for two weeks across Art Basel, LA and Denver that they were going to rug. Like, I just can't believe that he's that fucking stupid. Like, look at this dumb grifter. He probably got paid money, you know? I'm just going to completely not check the chain, and I'm just going to pontificate that these probably got paid a bunch of money to promote a rug, because that, that has to be what happened. There's no way that these spent $100,000 and lost it in the process of promoting the rug. It had to have been the cabal of influencers paying him to rug this fucking project. So fuck this D's dude. I'm just going to go promote <laughs> funks and zunks and whatever. Like I've seen that happen too many fucking times that I'm just yeah. like, I don't want to talk about another project. And it sucks too, because there's like genuinely projects like I want to probably talk about, but I feel so scarred from the very unfortunate interactions that happen in the bull market mm. that I don't want to open up that attack vector again. And the people who want to like, pick my brain on stuff on the space like they'll probably dm me or we'll have that conversation on a space anyway probably not like i need to do a twitter thread about it or something yeah so yeah i guess the more followers i get the less specific i am with like any tweets i feel like the more followers i get like the more i just have to like shit post and fucking share platitudes and (laughs) try not to offend any it's really shitty because like if you're try to like dumb down yourself so that you're not offending anybody or potentially creating a new attack vector for yourself it's like so i just get on the old account sometimes and just post shit like no one really knows it's me i think there's like less than five people who follow that account who know it's me Mm -hmm. i get to just say whatever and i know that there's not going to be somebody coming back to me and being like well i disagree because (laughs) Or even worse, like, go fuck yourself, you whatever scammer. Yeah, the internet can be, like, a really mean place. Like, people can be really subject to, like, insane, like, hatred. And there's a lot of, like, highs, but there's also a lot of lows when it comes to, like, interacting with, like, a large audience. Yeah, and there's something, too, about, you know, most people are anonymous. So that's Mm -hmm. a blessing and a curse. You know, if you're anonymous, you feel probably more justified in being an asshole online. Because it's not tied to your identity or people aren't coming back to you. Mm. And a lot of people in the space, you know, are just reply guys. Um, There's just people who don't have a bunch of followers, who follow a bunch of people, who just like want engagement Mm -hmm. any way they can get it. And a lot of the times that engagement comes from like spicy replies. And then you have to like tell yourself, no, don't feed into it. Like let (laughs) them do their thing. They're going to go after you regardless. Like, you know the fucking polys and hash bastards of the world who just spend their whole entire existence adding other people and talking shit that isn't based in reality. But I've met so many more cool people and have gotten so many more cool opportunities and like life is just better 
having a bunch of followers in a way, but it also creates this expectation of you. Like, mm-hmm. like we're all people. Like, like keyboard monkeys a person, and punk six five two nine is a person, and mm-hmm. like pretty sure beanie is a person, and I mean <laughs> mostly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all these people who have like a hundred thousand followers like they're all just people they're all super fallible people who will make mistakes and like everybody's just fucking winging it no one knows what the fuck they're doing and anyone who tells you otherwise is probably full of shit no matter how many <laughs> followers they have and what they want to sell you but yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just it a lot of it comes back to like growing up on runescape i always felt like people were gonna scam me take my money like that never goes away especially with being an influencer every single message is like you got to read it from the lens of if i was in a third world country and poor trying to scam somebody what would i say and how would i say it because like i used to get all these dms from people who their kid has some rare illness and they need money or they're gonna die it was like inverse nigerian prince things and then eventually i just like closed my dms (laughs) because it was just like i can't read this stuff number one it brings my day down horribly when i'm just like looking at yeah pictures of kids who are you know disformed basically and then i'm like i'm not gonna google reverse image search this shit to like see if it's legit or fake because i'm just gonna waste too much time of my day doing this i'm just gonna (laughs) fuck myself up mentally yeah and yeah it was just one of these things where that was what was hitting my dm box that summer of 2021 where it was like people saw me buying a bunch of art they're like oh look at this rich kid who grew up with money like that's the most annoying Mm. thing i think people think i like grew up with money and like just had the world handed to me it's like i was broke grew up broke and i got lucky gambling like there's really no fucking i was gonna make it regardless and just have like family money it was like no like my mom declared bankruptcy while I was in college. My dad's okay, but like definitely not super well off or anything. And nobody in my family has like stocks or 401ks or like knows how to invest. And like, I was wondering, like, why did you make the decision to stay anon versus docs? Like, was this mostly a question of like OPSEC or like, are there other reasons behind this? Yeah. So, probably a few different things. The D's persona I've had forever, but. I was really leaning into it while I was working my old job. And to get that job, I had to be drug tested the first time, but I never got drug tested again. But I didn't want anyone to be able to search my name and like see me posting pictures of smoking weed. That was kind of the the high level of Mm. why I wasn't doxxed for a while. And then I built up such a brand unexpectedly around D's and the punk and stuff. It didn't really feel like it made sense to take the genie out of the bottle uh nft nyc 2021 i did um a irl speaking thing at the event with like faroque and john knopf and uh keith grossman and sarah richardson and a few other people and i like didn't wear a mask or anything and i just asked the people to like not post pictures of me on twitter before it started And of course, people were just like taking pictures of me and tagging me on Twitter. And it really just set me off of like, okay, we can't even have a nice thing here where we're in a room of 75 people and like someone cannot post the stage. So from that event onward, I just wore masks anytime someone asked me to speak. Hmm. And I'm probably not going to keep wearing masks. Like I was talking to Redbeard about this earlier this week. And he's like, you know, if you wear a mask, you're always the guy who wears a mask. And like, that's kind of weirder than just like being yourself and the group of people on stage. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. Like, 
been a guy who wears a, a frog mask or a, a Vinnie Hager ski mask probably draws more attention to myself than if I just went up there without a mask. And it's like, I have nothing to hide. It was really just, I don't want my employers to search my name and see a giant bong full of weed like 30 minutes before I went to work. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I really liked smoking before I had to commute into work because I took the bus in. So I didn't have to drive or anything. So I just like smoke and go hop on the bus. And it was like a 30, 45 minute long vibe sesh of me preparing to go into war, AKA my old job and <laughs> deal with people that I didn't love until five o'clock to come home. And yeah, now it's just like the, the D's genie, the D's punk, whatever kind of grew bigger than I thought my face could ever grow. And it didn't mm. really make sense to like take the genie out of the bottle. But as time goes on and I'm like fully in this industry, it, it doesn't fully make sense to always wear the mask. Like, I'm not going to make a big deal about it when I take the mask off, but it'll just be like, you'll notice uh, podcast episodes onward. I just don't have a punk over my face. Or like, if there's an event this year that I end up speaking at, like, I probably won't wear a mask for it or something. But like, it's not going to be like a Twitter thread breaking. Like, this is who I am. Mm. <laughs> um, I do have this guy who is kind of a stalker and an extortionist who's been threatening to dox me for like seven months now. Kind of a long story, but this guy reached out to me in January about wanting to sell me the D's handle on Twitter. I thought he was probably a scammer and just kind of ignored him. He basically put my full name and all my info in his bio because he got the D's handle and was like mm. responding to all my tweets trying to dox me. I just like put my name and my wife's name and stuff. And it was just like, okay, dude, what what what's going on here? And then like two months later, he just offered to give me the name for free, like had a complete change of heart. So I got the name for free. I think I sent him like $400 in ETH or something because I felt mildly bad that he gave it to me for free. Like two months after that, he started trying to extort me again. He's like, I'm going to dox you to Polly. Like, mm. I'm going to post all these pictures of you from high school that no one cares about. <laughs> so I just took all of his messages that he was sending me and I just tweeted them and said, yeah. like, hey, guys, like you might see shit come out in the next few days. Like, it's me. I'm just going to get ahead of it. Like, it's nothing to hide here. It's just is what it is. But then that guy hasn't come around since. Like, I got a new phone, <laughs> new phone number, like, did all this shit. He would, like, call me all night from, like, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Oh. oh, my God. He is texting and calling me from, like, a dozen different numbers. So, like, you block one oh. and he just sends yeah. another one. And he's messaging me on Discord and Telegram and he's adding me on Twitter. And it's just like, dude, like... I'm not going to pay you an ETH the fuck off because you're just going to ask me to pay you an ETH next week because yeah. you can. Like, I don't negotiate with terrorists. I don't know what you want to do. If you want to dox me, go the fuck ahead. But it's just ridiculous that like we have to deal with this shit in the first place. It's ridiculous yeah. that the phone companies are so shitty that you can bribe a fucking customer sales rep and do a SIM swap for under $1,000. It's just ridiculous that we live in a society where something as important as your phone number can be so easily taken from you mm -hmm. because like low level customer service reps just don't give a shit. But it's normally this like pipeline of somebody who is a reply guy 
who doesn't get validated by the influencer in a way that they think they should be validated, Hmm. they then become like a hater of that influencer because they were originally a fan and not validated. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've seen it happen. Like, what you don't know who I am? Like, you haven't read? It's like, I hate to fucking uh, bring up Eminem and like the Stan song, but it definitely (laughs) feels like that song in a way where people are just like, I wrote you, you didn't answer like, why? Yeah. <laughs> I'm now hunting your family because fuck you. <laughs> it's like, yeah. whoa, dude, like, you have nothing going in your own life that gets you excited to work on it so that you're going to try to log into my Microsoft account every fucking day so that I get a Microsoft authenticator notification thing that I got to click out of. Like, are you okay? Yeah, it's like that uh, ice cream girl. That was like oh, super my, yeah, viral yeah, last week. Yeah. And then she like posted this like video and it was like a motivational speech. It was like, you know, you spent all this time hating me when you could be making money. You could be changing your life. You could be doing all of these things. And it was like, yeah, it is kind of pathetic that like people will spend this time and energy doing that when they could be like building themselves up and working on themselves. Like it's just like unfortunate that people respond this way because they aren't validated because they can't get the thing that they want. Yeah, it's like the thing that they want. I don't know. I don't know what they want, I guess. Or maybe they, I think maybe they don't know what they want. And then they just spend their time in weird manners that don't give them what they want because they don't know what they want or how to get what they want in the world. Yeah, I think maybe they feel powerless in relation to like an influencer who has like this perceived like power or whatever, celebrity, prestige, and then you know, as they're trying to get your attention or extort you in some way, it's sort of like they're trying to close the gap between their perceived like status and your like very high status as they perceive it. So yeah, I feel like it's something to do with power vaguely, but who knows, maybe they're just fucking nuts. Like, you know, <laughs> it's hard to say what, what you know, this guy is going to gain from, yeah, the perceived you know. power that people think influencers have so different it's like orders of magnitude different like people yeah. might think our, our power level is like 1 million when like really the power level <laughs> might be like 10,000 or, or 1,000 like they're that off in scale totally and like even you know even if this rando extortionist dude had the number of followers that you had or whatever like doesn't mean that they would be as successful as you have been like you know, just having a bunch of followers is not an immediate guarantee of success in any way like you still you have that falling for a reason because you were, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but one of them being that you were, you've built a collection, you've traded, you've done all these things. So it's like, I don't know, just the outside perception, like of the grass is greener of thinking like, oh, well, you know, if I was, if I was famous, like D's, or if I had all these followers, like D's, I could do this. It's like, no, you'd still be fucking shit at trading meme coins. You'd still be shit <laughs> at trading shit NFTs. At trading <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, well, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> I mean, over the last month, it's been not pretty. I sell everything before it pumps. I hold yeah. it just long enough in the range. <laughs> I puke the lows on everything and then go to bed and I wake up and it's up 50% from yeah. where I sold it. And it's just, you know, back in my day, um, <laughs> I, I shit coining. There was this idea of like, oh, there's this DeFi protocol that might change things. Whereas now it's just this like super nihilistic, like, you know, the Harry Potter, Obama, Bitcoin, like, 
Sonic 10 Inu, whatever, or like yeah. you're just buying things that you know are completely valueless. Like, like let's look at Pepe. Like there's no intrinsic value to the Pepe token at all. It is just the network effects of the token and the meme that you're betting on. Mm-hmm. And there's no like like, you know, back during Uniswap summer, at least some of these tokens were like trying to build something. And mm-hmm. there was this idea that like maybe they can build something and be successful and get real, real users and real products like market fit and all this shit. Now there's no guise of like, oh, maybe this will be useful or helpful to anybody. It's like, this is a fucking meme and we're going to punt it because <laughs> the liquidity is locked. The distribution's good enough and people are talking about it on the X app. I was a lot better at identifying like, what thing that probably won't work out will get people's attention? Now it's like, I should have had that mindset toward Unibot and I didn't because it's like actually something that works and isn't just a yeah. meme. Fucking but Unibot, a lot man. of this stuff is like, I got to look at it from this completely useless meme perspective or I can't even touch it. Like there's no intellectual way to wrap my head around investing in it. It's much more like, yeah, we're just gambling on this meme this week. Like, I just, yeah, the the Sproto Gremlins just look good. Like, I guess we're just going <laughs> to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that's literally why I sold Unibot, because I thought it, it was too useful and <laughs> actually had fundamentals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good. Like, I, I was looking at it like, oh, these guys are trying way too hard. Like, there's no way that this will actually succeed versus all of the other stupid mimetic coins that are purely, like, nothing. Unibot is the exception to the rule, really, where it was like, okay, no, there's actually like a product here and like there's actual revenue. Like it's actually competing with a lot of bigger protocols. Like it actually has some pretty legitimate uh, revenue coming in. Um, I, I think I bought it. I bought it at twelve dollars. Uh, yeah, twelve dollars and sold it at maybe like twenty five, thinking like, oh, okay, well that went well. And then <laughs> now it's like ah, uh, hundred and fifty, and you're just like, damn. Yeah. Well, there's also but to be fair, I, I, I of like yeah. the tax too. Like I'm not used to this tax mm-hmm. back in you know back in my day. Back tax in the was day, kind of novel, and <laughs> that I think Safe Moon might have been the first token that kind of popularized like a tax model where mm. I believe Safe Moon was more like taxing and going to the liquidity pools and being mm. locked, if I remember correctly, but. This idea that you need to pay a 10% round trip tax, like (laughs) it makes it really hard to buy a token that has a market cap of a hundred plus million dollars when you're already factoring in like 10% round trip. But people seem to like, I don't know, like, do they just not care about the tax? Do they (laughs) not know there is a tax? Like you, for me, I had to set my slippage to over 5% to buy it because uh, I, I just kept getting failures. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. instantly say swap failed. I was like, why is this? Like, oh, there's tax. Like, I need another slippage. So, like, people are okay, I guess, paying a tax if they think they can hit a multiple. But the higher it goes up, like, the less you want to pay that tax as a base to get into the trade in the first place. Yeah, I think the last couple of weeks, it's gotten like very, very competitive. It seems like most of the people who are doing really well are uh, mostly sniping like really low. They're getting into things at 10K or 50K market cap. And yeah, so then, it's definitely. Yeah. I, I made a tweet. I made a tweet. That sounds weird. I tweeted. I made a tweet. <laughs> I made a tweet. Yeah. I, I, 
I I tweeted something the other day that was like, if you're not buying into tickers that were shilled in a private telegram by uh, Nikob wearing Romilios, then like (laughs) you're exit liquidity, hundred percent. Like if you're buying things because you saw a tweet, like you Uh, have mm -hmm. lost the game in a way. But then there's some of these things where like they get tweeted about and they go up a lot after the tweet, so it's it's tough. But I'm trying to buy things that are lower market cap. The issue is so many of them are just straight scams. I mean, the idea is that most of this stuff is, but the low market cap stuff is like, if you're not doing at least the due diligence, no, it's not a honeypot and that you can actually sell it. And then I've lost more on the low <laughs> the low end things that I keep thinking I'm sniping and getting into early than I have on buying like the 5 million-ish, like two and a half to 5 million yeah. range. And then hoping like, oh, this goes to like 20 million. Yeah, I I think usually like you're actually better off buying what seems like a local top just because that whatever that coin is probably has enough momentum that you at least have a shot of getting a multiple on it. Whereas I feel like the low caps are totally like shot in the dark. Like you have no fucking idea if you're going to succeed. You're throwing darts into like a black room, you know, like a void. Yeah. Like (laughs) Like, I've had zero luck. The racing tokens over the last few days with like hamster, right? It went by fast, you know? Yeah, it's already done. Like I already feel like that meta is done. But like the day after hamsters, like, oh, we're we're doing marbles now. I went to Ikea and did some errands with Mrs. D's. And marble token was like three cents. And some people were talking about it in a telegram. I was in. I was like, oh, it looks fucking stupid. And I come home and I check and I'm like squinting. And I'm like, is this real? Like, is it 50 <laughs> cents right now? Like, did this just go up 25x while we Fuck. went to Ikea? And like you look at today and like marble token, five cents. Like it's back down to where it was when I was at Ikea. Hmm. And you didn't sell that one pump. Like it's over. It's hey, no, over. nobody should be going back to marble token and being like okay like when's round two it's like well round two is gonna be with <laughs> yeah. a token that's probably called marble two marble 2.0 something yeah like it's not marble 6.9 yeah i fucking hams i didn't really realize all the fud with hams I, like, oh man bought the dip but then didn't realize like the fud was legit and i had to sell it because i was like oh shit like looks like the devs are actually scumbags like that post they posted wasn't fully honest but you just have to do all that bullshit due diligence with these tokens because like you know 98 percent of the time it is probably a scam like if not more Mm -hmm. like who is dumb enough to make a token as a doxed american like probably someone who wants to scam (laughs) like same level of stupidity like no one really is going out and buying guinea pigs and hamsters and making a cart (laughs) like a fucking go-kart race in their house so that it's good long entertainment for years to come it's like no maybe i can get a million dollars from idiots who want to gamble on this <laughs> anyway yeah. shit coins they're a whole fucking it's fun but you got to know that you're just gambling on garbage and vapor and probably gonna lose your money yeah, I mean, ironically, I think like Pepe is a safe haven asset now. Like, oh, it's, it's definitely it's, windy it's, enough. Like, you look at the chart of Pepe, and what's super funny about it is that it's basically a major. Like, it trades very closely correlated to how BTC is moving. Like, it's to me very, very funny that it's gotten to that stage, and now like people are looking at Pepe like, wow, 
that's not a risk asset at all. I need to buy like Pepe Inu 69 whatever coin. And it's just so funny how I mean, like, that's literally, yeah. I mean, Harry Potter, Obama, Sonic, 10 Inu or whatever. That, that thing is almost $100 million again today. For me, like I went through this phase, like, well, Briley and I, like it's our money. It's not my money, but I usually am the one making the trades. You're the and, one like, dumb enough we, to buy we, the, the, the Yeah, I'm the it. fucking idiot who's <laughs> pressing the button. You know, I hold all the ETH. <laughs> yeah, like Riley's the smart one. But so like, wallet. you know, we were uh, exactly. Yeah. When we were in Japan for ETH Global, like I uh, came across Degen Harambe and that just like triggered this. It's not that I was unaware of trading, but I just didn't identify as a trader. Um, and I still don't really, but like, you know, I'm more aware of it as like a thing now. And then, you know, went through this phase after Pepe of like trying to find these other, like not necessarily like low caps or nano low caps, but, you know, coins that I felt would appreciate in value and frankly haven't hit too many of them and it sounds so fucking stupid if you tell that to someone like yeah you know we're like we're like long-term holders of like pepe coin and harry potter obama sonic 10 inu like people are gonna look at you like you're fucking like redacted like i'm sorry but this sounds insane to anyone outside of this immediate circle but it's like you said like this is lindy like so ironically it's become like a very legitimate project through that and it's just I don't know. It's such a stupid timeline that we're on, but it's also really fun. So I'm glad that we're here. (laughs) It's so hard to get like new people in the space too. And you're telling them you made a bunch of money and they're like, oh, how'd you make it? And you're like, oh, well, like I was on Twitter and this (laughs) fucking, you know, Romilio in in Nikob was like, yeah, I bought Pepe token. And then so I bought Pepe token. And then like (laughs) I went on vacation for a week and Pepe token was worth a lot more ethereum tokens after that vacation and yep now i have this nest egg to gamble with so you know i dabble i buy things like <laughs> harry potter obama sonic 10 you know and you know Fuck. i buy derivatives like ultra super fucking demented green dildo token or usdc and then i bought xrp2 and i just kept buying a bunch of fake tokens that weren't what they said the ticker was and they all just went up multiples and like <laughs> Yeah, it's really easy. Like, you should definitely try it. Like, just take a a amount of money that you're comfortable burning and try this crypto thing out. (laughs) So then, like, they take a paycheck and they buy ETH and set up a MetaMask and, like, click a phishing link and get scammed and lose it all. And then they're Mm. like, fuck crypto. Like, everyone's a scammer. And then you're, like, showing up to their party in your new fucking car that you bought with Harry Potter Obama. (laughs) coin and you're just like yeah life's great over here and then they resent you and you don't get invited to any more parties with them and it's like wow i guess yeah. i don't have any real life friends anymore because everyone's pissed off i made money on garbage and they didn't and yeah i'm but not talking you know, that's out the of thing. experience or anything for sure uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely just going off uh, But that's the thing is like, you have to be crazy enough, like, because at a certain point in time, it was crazy to have money in Bitcoin. And it was crazy to have money in ETH. And like, you had to be the person who was like, no, like, this is, this is real. Like, I believe like, I'm going to bet on this outcome, you had to be that person at a certain point. I think, you know, ETH even, uh, you know, as recently as a few years ago, I think was that type of asset. And it's the same thing now with 
shit like Pepe, like, and you just have to like manifest that outcome and like plant that flag. Yeah, the same thing. Like, uh, you think about Floki. Floki is the biggest bullshit. Like, this is not even a meme. This is like a meme, like a, it's like a third tier meme. Like, Shib is not really a meme. It's like a derivative of Doge. And like, Doge is a real meme. But like, Floki is like three levels down. (laughs) That shit went to four billion market cap at the top like you think pepe is not gonna go higher like come on you know it's just it's i don't know i think that's the type of conviction you have to you have to be a little bit crazy i think you have to definitely be on one of the two m's of the iq bell curve like the people in the middle (laughs) get destroyed The, the people on the right yeah. are like, <sighs> you know, memetics are strong. Human psychology isn't going to change. People are going to attribute mm-hmm. value to meaningless digital shit because other people attribute mm-hmm. value to meaningless digital shit. Left side of the curve is just like, <laughs> I like the meme number go up. And then the middle side of the curve is like, oh, there's no fucking cash flow. The multiple's too yeah. high. Like, there's no fundamental analysis that can back this decision. I cannot believe Who a rational cares? person would ever do this. And it's like, well, you know, we've clearly learned over the last three years, if we didn't know this already, which we did, it's just like humans are really fucking irrational people. Like, no one is making bets based off of a market being efficient. Like, we're all a bunch of fucking cavemen with iPhones that <laughs> mm-hmm. are idiots. And when you give us unrestricted 24-7 access to a money system, like we're gonna be idiots because that's what we do. Uh, <laughs> it's like you can embrace the fact that humans are idiots yep. or you can cope in the middle and yep. just be like, oh, I bought uh, this stock that's gonna give me a dividend because like the cash flow is good it's like no dude it's like you know half my siblings they just want digital either roblox or Fortnite shit like they don't even want dollars like they value fucking fake skins Mm -hmm. that live on a centralized server like there's no reason any of this shit and as they get older i'm sure they're gonna value just as much fake digital bullshit as we do if not more Mm -hmm. because they've grown up already valuing all the fake digital bullshit and it took me like at least until i was 10 or so to grasp the fake digital bullshit and you know these kids they just know it from the minute they have a fucking ipad or controller i think part of uh, like if i had to articulate like a thesis for crypto is like the world is not going to get less digital going forward no matter what you think, there's no way you can possibly believe that. The world is only going to get more digital going forward. So do you really think that digital assets and digital money is not going to be more important going forward? Like, of course, this is like a time horizon thing. But like, as long as you're thinking at least, I don't know, a year or two ahead, it's hard to not really think that crypto is going to be important. Like, it just seems like a very simple thesis to me, Um, regardless of like which coins or whatever you think will perform the best. It's just like in general digital assets are inevitably going to be important in the future. I mean, how can you look at the Apple headset and not believe that, you know, like the world is just going to get even more crazier and even more virtual. There's no putting the genie back in in that bottle. Like it's just the way the world is going to, is going to unfold. It's hard to say the specifics of that and how AI will play a role in all that, but that's my like broad thesis for all of this anyway. 
All right, Dees. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here, you know? <laughs> One thing that I did, I did have in here was like the podcast. I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about We Do A Little, like if you wanted to maybe chat about that. But other than that, we pretty much covered everything. So no pressure, just if you did want to ch- talk a little bit about the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we Do A Little is a long-form podcast. I host it with my friend Andy, and we also host another show with Redbeard um, called Shipwrecked, which is under the We Do A Little pod banner. We basically just bring on people from the ecosystem that we're friends with or people we're not friends with but think are interesting, and we try to have a really <laughs> long-form, candid conversation about everything and anything. Very similar, I guess, to how this pod has gone, where we just kind of went from origin story to random uh, musings about online identity to, you know, gambling on shit coins and psychedelic experiences. And it's like <laughs> a lot of what we try to talk about on the pod is stuff that people don't talk about on other pods. I feel like as someone who's been on a bunch of podcasts, it gets a little tiring sometimes answering the same questions. And a lot of the people we talk to are artists mm. and they've answered the same question like, a hundred million times about their art. Um, so we try to ask them like some different deeper questions about their maybe childhood or upbringings or ways they've shifted over the years. Have had people tell us that after the pod, it was like a therapeutic event for them where they got to like let things out they didn't know they had in. So yeah, if you're into long form conversations with some of the coolest people in the space, check out We Do a Little Pod. Season three will be coming out in August. And we have like cheap NFT mints that go with each season. I do art that um, I, I've been for the last like seven months since we talked to Clear Silver. Been pretty addicted to Mid Journey and Dolly and some of these AI art tools. Mm-hmm. So I make a bunch of art for the pod. And then uh, the people who own the NFTs are able to claim the art that I make if they want to. And uh, it's just kind of a way for me to like give back. And also it's a way for me to create kind of selfish but it forces me to keep creating and i find a lot of fulfillment in creating something sharing it and then getting good feedback on it so yeah that's the pod and thank you for having me it's been really fun really wide-ranging conversation glad we got to touch on some of the more uncommon things like my name i guess a lot of people actually don't ask where (laughs) these came from i think they just assume it's a these nuts thing but then I always love talking about psychedelics and weed experiences. And it's really cool to hear that you recently had that Pink Floyd, you know, everybody has that trip where it's like one of their first trips where they listen to Dark Side of the Moon and they're just like, holy shit, like the vibrations are different. Like this is, this is nice. Like I, <laughs> I want more of this. So yeah, uh, thanks for having me and check out the pod. And that's all I got. All right. Well, thanks again, Dees. It was a pleasure to connect. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can see each other. Yeah. Some point in the next year. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. And thanks for having me.